The TNT Shop has great gift ideas for your furry family member at TNTradio.live. This is a place for crazy people. Natalie Cheel and Rick Mott. I think you'll listen. TNT. Okay, we're coming at you live. It is Thursday. We are TNT Radio. I am Rick Munn, Natalie Cheel, and Gemma Cooper are waiting in the wings to pounce and throw their tuppence into the hat when it comes to commentary and their unique take on the world's events at this time. Whoever you are, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, and whatever you're doing, of course, fingers crossed. We hope that it's nice. You're very welcome to the show. This is Open Line. It's live, uncensored, unedited, and unscripted. And yeah, we're just happy to be here and hopefully uh, you shall be stimulated and uh, motivated throughout the course of the next 50 odd minutes to the top of the hour. You can, of course, uh, give us a call. The lines will be open after 20 past the hour and you can leave a message in our live chat, which is TNTradio.live. We will do our level best to pick up on whatever you say there during the course of the hour. Maybe try and read out some comments and of course you can leave your opinions and your suggestions all will be taken into consideration. Now, what's going on in the world at the minute? Well, quite a lot, to be frank. I just saw this one here this morning concerning uh, my little patch of the world in Northern Ireland. There will be no bus and rail services in Northern Ireland uh, on Friday, the 1st of December, in the lead up to Christmas due to a strike. Uh, it has just been announced this morning. Uh, Northern Ireland's bus and rail services could be brought to a complete standstill. Uh, Unite, GMB and SIP2 unions have voted in favour of the strike over a possible pay freeze for TransLink workers. Now, so what? You might be thinking it's only a bus and rail strike. Northern Ireland is highly dependent on their bus and rail networks. Uh, our major motorway that we would have had for many a year was called the M1, and it only had two lanes. We only had a two-lane motorway forever, and it was only in the last 20-odd years it was upgraded to a three-lane motorway in the way into Belfast and on the way out of Belfast. So a lot of people rely on public transport, uh, especially bus services in rural areas and also trains to take them at high speed into the offices in the city centres for those of us who still, uh, not me anymore, thank God, uh, but who, for those that still work in city centres, they're highly dependent on trains. And I rode those trains myself for 11 years uh, before I jacked in my job uh, roughly two years ago now in Belfast city centre. So this is going to cause massive of disruption for a lot of people and of course there's an argument over pay it's always about money and conditions and understandably uh, people want more money because the living expenses are going through the roof you know i don't know anybody that's been positively impacted by what's happening at this point in time so of course a strike is going to be called but then uh and uh northern ireland uh railways translink they're saying uh, they don't have the money to give any pay increases and the unions are saying well we're going to strike and you better come up with some cash or else there's going to be trouble. So uh, if you are living in Northern Ireland and you happen to be listening in to me at this point in time, just mark that one down in your diaries. It's provisionally penciled in for Friday the 1st of December, which I think, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, is next Friday. So uh, that's something to watch out for and maybe make alternative travel arrangements for if you can. And speaking about money, lack of money, we want more money. Uh, huge budget announcements were made yesterday. Uh, Rishi Sunak and uh, old Jeremy Hunt were uh, uh, in the in the dock yesterday telling us how good we all have it, how the Tories are doing wonderful for everybody. And one of the things that Sunak has said is the biggest cut ever to national insurance contributions for workers is on the cards and the biggest tax cut on business investment in British history is on the cards. Other sound bites that he threw out there were from April next year, millions of workers will get a pay rise. That's roughly £1,800 a year for someone working full time as a result of their proposed tax cuts. Well, it's a long way to April they say a week is a long time in politics. And here we have Rishi and Jeremy uh, promising us the earth come next April. That's assuming they're even in power next April. The word on the street is there could be a, an election around about Easter time next year. Maybe this will all be scuppered. Maybe it won't. I don't know, but time will tell. So on one hand, we have workers wanting more money. And on the other hand, we have the government telling us, oh, it's coming. It's coming. Like one of those TransLink trains. It's coming. But let's hope the train doesn't arrive on Friday the 1st of December because nobody will be working for TransLink on that day and the trains will be all sidled 
up. So that's just a few things uh, to whet your appetites this morning. Please stay tuned. We shall be right back here after this short break on TNT Radio. Keeping the commitment 24-7. I've been in the car all day and I got to listen. Can't get enough of it. You guys are doing a great job. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Let me ask you guys, first of all, Gemma, Natalie, public transport. I did avail of it for quite some time. Uh, I found it to be very beneficial for me because of the reasons I just explained. What about you guys? Uh, if you drive, whether you don't drive, would you avail of public transport much and what your experiences of it uh, in the in the, in the the transport that you do take? I've never, I've never been a fan of uh, public transport myself. I mean, I will catch a bus if I have to, but you don't know who you're going to be sat next to. And uh, yeah, it's it's not always the most pleasant. It's not always the most pleasant experience. I mean, London is the worst. Uh, getting the tubes in London, it's either too hot or there are too many people. Uh, but um, yeah, if you have to, you have to do it. But it's far nicer sitting in your own car, uh, not around people. But then I get a bit unsociable. What's your experience, Gemma? Miserable. Yeah, well, I I do I do have a car and I do drive and I do I'm not the most confident of drivers, um, but I really love the trains and um, I've had some of the most inspiring, uplifting, and interesting conversations with people that I've met on trains right the way through my life. I don't know what it is about being on a train. It's different now than it was when I was in my 20s and 30s when I used the trains a lot because I didn't actually pass my driving test until I was 32. That's how nervous I was about getting behind the wheel of a car. Um, so I used the trains a huge amount, especially when I was a student traveling up to uh, the north of England to go to university. And some of those train journeys were so brilliant. But of course, now people have got their heads buried in their phones and their tablets and their iPads and wh whatever and their computers, and it is more difficult. But still, I have had some very enlightening conversations on the trains in the last few years, and I do really enjoy it public uh, transport in cities like buses well in my experience in the west country they never turn up but um that's probably just here i don't know if that's that applicable anywhere else uh maybe there are no bus services in the west country maybe we could investigate that that's why you've never seen any buses up in your neck the they simply don't exist uh, it's like that in a lot of rural areas here uh, in northern ireland uh you've got a story for us here this morning which is i mean i was looking at it and i couldn't believe some of the pictures uh, that were in this report this is a place that's very dear to your heart uh so on a personal level Gemma, you've got a lot invested in this story and it's a win after a local council a leader apologizes for clevedon's one Point three million pound quote wiggly line scheme unquote uh looks like someone's got in one of those road painting machines after having about 15 pints of beer and decided to swerve it down uh the main street laying very oddly uh positioned lines all along the front what what's been going on with this council in particular well, this story is really, really dear to my heart because it's literally five minutes away from me, this town, and I go there all the time. And when they did this last year, everybody in the town of Clevedon in North Somerset just clutched their pearls in horror and went, what have you done? Because the council, in its wisdom, during the pandemic, decided it was going to rip up the how the seafront looked. It's a beautiful Victorian seafront in Clevedon. I strongly urge both of you to come down and visit it. It's really beautiful. And it's got one of the last Victorian piers in England, beautiful Clevedon Pier. It was a stunning seafront. You could park your car out and look out towards the sea, the sunset on a big crescent. It was a classic Victorian um, design. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful buildings, everything. So they they came in and they wanted to do all these traffic calming measures, 20 mile an hour zones, cycle lanes that nobody had asked for, clearly very Agenda 2030 driven, and they would have got money to do that. They came in, they didn't consult with the public at all. They came in, completely changed the look of the seafront, uh, put these stupid designs for the cycle lanes, um, messed up the road, one-way systems, put this ridiculous roundabout and it looked like an alien landing pad. Even the Daily Mail got hold of that story. And um, people were saying, what on earth have you done? What have you done? It ruined it. It was ugly. They brutalized it, absolutely brutalized it. So anyway, the locals, they said, right, we're not having this. They launched this huge, huge people power campaign. All of the local businesses were up in arms. It's a very affluent town. There's a lot of independent businesses. Every uh, business had posters in the window. There was just a huge campaign. And the council kept saying, no, too late. It's here. Get used to it. And people were like, no, we're not getting used to it. And they just kept lobbying and lobbying and lobbying. And in the end, a traffic independent auditor, traffic independent auditor had to come in um, and they've audited it, uh, audit transport experts uh, audit west they came in and they looked at it and they went no no we it has to go back 
has to go back to what it was. So it's a victory for people power. They did not stop with this campaign. They, I think some of the businesses were going to withhold their business rates. Locals were up in arms. Uh, and it was an example of the council and they have apologized this week. They said we didn't consult properly. Well, actually, they didn't consult at all. And it's about people pushing back, pushing back, pushing back. People are really realizing our elected representatives, they work for us. They work for us. We're paying them. So they pushed back so much. The council said, right, we're sorry. Um, we're going back to what it was. We'll find the money for it. Yeah, find the money for it. You were given the money for it. Find the money for it. And it's a huge victory huge, huge, huge victory for people power and restoring something to its natural, beautiful state. Um, and and you know, I think this victory will be the first of many, because if enough people push back on enough things, we will change the balance of power. And I really feel the tide is turning. I really do. And this is an example of it. Well, that's a good example to use. Uh, Nat, I don't know if you've got to look at those uh, photographs or not, but I can remember when I was a kid, I had a friend had this little play mat with first little toy cars, and it was like this cartoonish thing that you rolled out on the carpet and you pushed your little model cars around it. And it was very cartoonish. And when I saw those pictures of the seaside town, uh, it reminded me of my friend's little model car play mat when I was a kid. Is this part of the uh, agenda as well? And I know we talked about this briefly yesterday, Gemma, about architecture and the way cities are and uh, the, the, the amazing uh, cultural places of the past. They don't seem to be making any awe-inspiring buildings anymore. They seem to be making these concrete and steel uh, you know, shells that they put people in or that are classified as architecture these days. Are they also trying to you know, patronize us with the like of these uh, childish-looking road symbols and these wavy lines everywhere? I mean, is that part of it, do you think, or am I overanalyzing it? Not like yeah, I mean, I mean, the word that I uh, used and uh, Gemma already said was ugly. I mean, mm -hmm. you know, like you said, seafronts are normally so beautiful. When you know, living in Reading, when I go to the coast, I instantly feel, uh, you know, that the the sea air, that the, you know, looking at the beautiful view, it makes you feel wonderful. And oh, was it ugly? Uh, it looks sterile, like you said. The design is that the idea? Are they trying to take the joy away from us? Uh, and so glad that the people stood up. And I would say that's happened in Reading as well. They tried to put a one way system in here, people stood up. They also put loads of changes in for COVID. Um, I think they did that, um, at other places like, um, uh, around the country, you know, taking away some, uh, uh, the the car lanes and put in bicycle lanes everywhere, realizing that when people actually started commuting, uh, the traffic was so bad, Reading didn't actually move. So again, the people power stood up and uh, that got changed again. So it's worth doing, you know, have your say, use your voice. It can make mm. a difference, can't it, Gemma? It, it really can. And we, we, we will be doing that, uh, you know, a pace on lots of different issues, I think now. And I, I do think that people have been galvanized from the last three and a half years. I do think there's an army of us all around the world now that are not mm. taking what people in positions of power say. And OK, it's road signs and, and it's and it's roundabouts and it's one way systems, but it's a start because I can tell you now the people in Clevedon are conservative socially and politically. So to have them stand their guns on this one, stand up to authority, they're not the most rebellious of people, you would think, but something's happened in the last three and a half years. And this is a real, real victory because they just stood up to the machine. They stood up to the machine. They displayed courage and the machine, the machine, the system went, oh, all right. Okay. And it realized we're coming. We're coming. This may be just a seafront. Today, a seafront, tomorrow, the world. I'm getting Sarah Connor vibes from you this morning, Gemma, and that's a big compliment. I'm getting Sarah Connor vibes from you this morning. People who know know what I'm talking about. So uh, we've got to talk uh, called time in this one as per now. So big thanks to you for bringing us a victory story this morning. That's what we need. We need inspiration. We need victory stories. And we need to realize that the game is not over. It may look grim at times, but, you know, for as long as we're still breathing and upright, uh, we've still got fight in our bellies, and there's still a chance that we can turn this thing around, which is what we're doing one step at a time. So Big thanks to you, Gemma. Uh, you'll be joining me again in the next star uh, during Locked and Loaded. And for now, we've got to take a short break. Natalie and I will be back afterwards. And yeah, keep the uh, comments coming in and we'll keep the stories coming in live here on TNT Radio. 
TNT Radio's Steve Malsberg. I don't know if you're aware of the so-called protests that took place at the gates of the White House where uh, red paint, supposed to be blood, was uh, thrown at the uh, gates. The gates were being um, grabbed and and shaken back and forth. Uh, You had F Israel painted on uh, on the wall of a building. You had a statue in Lafayette Park defaced. You also had chants of F Joe Biden. And yet, with all that, and I think of January 6th, and there were some people who deserved to be arrested, certainly on January 6th, but they're still going after people who simply walked into that building and did nothing. Uh, And yet you had one person arrested during that whole episode that I just described in Washington, D.C., at the gates of the White House and in Lafayette Park over the weekend, Saturday. It sounds pretty incredible. The Steve Malzberg Show on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. When you can point me to an industry, to a platform that reaches 250 million people a month, virtually nine out of 10 Americans, that's real, that's substantive, that's important. And that reach and that touch point and that daily reinforcement, it's an amazing place to be able to communicate messages. That's massive. To find out more, go to tntradio.live. Unbiased information. Honest and forthright. News without the misinformation. It doesn't matter what side you're from. What matters is what you say, the truthfulness behind it. Today's News Talk Radio, TNT. Okay, we are coming at you live here. It is Thursday. Let me double check. The 23rd of November. Can you believe it? I think it's only about uh, four and a half weeks to beep. I don't want to use the word because I don't want to trigger our Natalie, but you know what time of the year it is and you know what's coming up in December. That's all I'm going to say about it. And hopefully uh, we shall be escorting you all the way uh, to Christmas and hopefully beyond into 2024 when TNT will, by the way, celebrate its second birthday. For all you uh, fact generators or fact checkers out there, we went live for the very first time on Monday, the 10th of January, 2022 and by god's grace it'll be monday the 10th of january 2024 before you can say ho 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 so we've got plenty to talk about here this morning just uh some great comments in the live chat this uh talking about seaside towns seems to have triggered a lot of people in a positive way mazzy says there's nothing better uh, than getting down to be beside the seaside nat has testified that when she goes down there it just gives her a kind of lift in her spirit Gemma's living beside one i live Thankfully, about a three minutes drive from uh, a beautiful part of coastline along uh, Northern Ireland here uh, in North Down. So, yeah, it's therapeutic. And if you can, I encourage anybody even to get away for a day, even for an hour and just sit by the sea. Look at the sea, take in that sea air. It is absolutely beautiful. So try and do that if you can. But of course, not everybody is able to do that. Uh, Natalie, we've got a story here. Uh, that we're going to kick off with. I think it highlights uh, above everything else the state that the Irish education system is in at this point in time. Secondary schools may face unpalatable decisions to drop subjects due to a teacher crisis. So uh, what's happening is almost, listen to this statistic now, this is the crux of this one, almost two-thirds of secondary schools surveyed by the Teachers Union of Ireland have unfilled vacancies, while more than three quarters have advertised positions in the last six months for which they have received no applications. So it used to be over here, it was very difficult to get a teaching position uh, because there were so few positions available, especially up in the north. But now we're talking about uh, the south of Ireland here. We're saying that, what, you know, uh, a third, two thirds uh, of schools have a position available and three quarters of the positions that were advertised didn't even get anybody filling in an application form. Does that not uh, bode badly for the trajectory that uh, it's going and the availability of teachers uh, especially here in Ireland. Yeah, it's very bad news, but we uh, we uh, mentioned this yesterday uh, about the uh, story from Wales and schools there. They said they were also struggling with recruitment. So we know it's all over the UK. Uh, it says here that mass construction studies, woodwork, uh, biology and home economics, uh, the main subjects they're struggling to fill. Uh, some schools are having to remove certain subjects at the moment because they just can't get teachers to fill them. Um, but I would say... From this, 
is it a, a appealing job? I know we were saying yesterday about the holidays. Would you really want to teach uh, 30 very disrespectful kids where you've got no real power anymore like you used to? Uh, you're not allowed to really raise your voice. You're not allowed to discipline them. You've got to teach every bit of the national curriculum, of which in core, of course includes all the kind of LGBTQIA+. plus. You know, is it an appealing job? Can you understand? Rick, why perhaps people aren't lining up anymore and wanting to be a teacher? Yeah, I, I totally understand that. I actually have a friend um, uh, we met years ago. We became very good friends. He moved away to Scotland, actually, and he did become, he became a teacher or he went into the teaching profession and he's actually done very, very well in it. I'm not going to give you his name uh, just in case, but uh, I met him again recently. I hadn't seen him for years. He, he was back in Northern Ireland. I met him uh, recently. We had a chat and his head has been completely turned in the teaching profession for all the reasons that you've just outlined below. One major sticking point for him in particular was his own personal beliefs absolutely do not line up with the curriculum that he's been forced to teach or at least bring to the attention of the pupils. And although he's doing well on paper and although he has been, I think he's a principal of a school at the moment, so he's on good money, but his head is gone and his nerves are shattered, Natalie, and his physical and his mental health have really suffered as a result of that. And, you know, back in the day, you used to go to school, you were taught, you know, reading, writing and arithmetic, basically at primary school. Then when you went on to secondary school, you got, you know, geography and history. But there's so many subjects available now. Some of these subjects like woodworking, we never had that at school or even economics. I don't even think we, were, we could do that at school. So there's so many different, uh, such a variety of subjects at the minute. They just don't have the people to fill them. So maybe you were enjoying doing your home economics, or maybe I would have been enjoying doing music class. And all of a sudden the teachers, uh, the principal said, sorry, that's off the curriculum now because we just don't have anybody to teach it. And we don't have the budgets uh, to be able to, uh, you know, fulfill these rules. So, you know, too bad. And that doesn't, that's bad for the kids as well as bad for the economy. I did have home economics. Sadly, I didn't do many of the classes. My teacher didn't like me and threw me out of most of them, Rick. But that's a different matter. But someone in the online chat uh, said, just a bloke who asked questions, who in their right mind would want to teach today? I left teaching in 1986 after just 18 months in the classroom, and I have never regretted it. So there's a testimony there. Um, I would also like to say, though, there are some wonderful teachers and mm -hmm. staff still working in schools. Uh, my son's uh, go to a specialised uh, unit uh, within a secondary school and I cannot praise the staff enough uh, the help and support they give them is amazing and there are some genuine people out there doing a great job so um, you know we you know we can sit here sometimes and you know criticise the national curriculum and the funding but there are still some wonderful people out there doing a great job. Yeah, props and respect to those uh, men and women out there that are actually uh, sucking all this ag aggravation up and maybe the lack of pay or not getting paid well enough or having to do extra work and not getting any gratitude for it, but still they weigh in. Because a lot of those good teachers that you talk about, Natalie, they're not motivated by paying money. Primarily, they're motivated yes, by they want to try and make a difference in kids' lives. But of course, you have to be properly remunerated and paid for doing that as well. But I'm just saying it's yeah. not their main driving factor. Uh, we've got to take a little uh, news break right now. And when we come back, plenty more to discuss here on TNT. So please don't go away. TNT Radio News. Matt Boyland here with a look at your TNT headlines. South Africa has severed ties with Israel out of protest of its relentless bombardment of Gaza. India has become the latest country to flex its military might, test firing an extended range anti-ship cruise missile at sea. And Russian President Vladimir Putin's clapped back at Western leaders who expressed their shock at Russia's aggression in Ukraine, reminding them that it was Kyiv that pulled out of peace talks. Globalist agendas, democratic rights at risk, corruption, propaganda, it never stops. For the news and views silenced by the mainstream media, by government and corporations, vote one. TNT Radio. Free speech always has a home here. Stay up to date with the latest live news and current affairs delivered by our lineup of expert commentators and hosts. Listen to TNT Radio anywhere you go. Ask Alexa or Google to play TNT Radio or download the TNT Radio app for free from the App Store or Google Play. Today's news talk. This is TNT Radio.
Thank you for all the lovely comments in the live chat. I just want to pick up on uh, something else in this teaching issue, Natalie. Uh, the chap in the live uh, stream said that he quit teaching after roughly 18 months back in uh, 1986, I think it was. Uh, sorry if I've got the date wrong, but uh, you can get into these things with the best will in the world. And maybe it's not until you're actually in the job that you realize, hang on a minute, maybe I've taken a wrong turn here, so I'm going to get out of it. And I don't know about you, but I've been seeing a lot of videos recently people have been posting online talking about how they work hard, uh, they've went to university, got a degree, they're very well qualified, but they're really struggling to make ends meet at the minute. And there was one that I actually saw this morning from a teacher in America. She has a, a an honours degree and then she went on to get a master's degree in education. And what she's basically saying is, uh, because of the cost of living over there and the pay isn't particularly great, uh, she's struggling to make ends meet, even though she's still at home with mom and dad. And what she says was, I, I can't understand this. I don't know why it's been this way. And someone made a suggestion to say, listen, before you get into a degree, no matter what it is, or before you pursue further education, do your sums. Figure out how much is this going to cost me in uh, education fees? How much will I have to borrow to get me through university? And what can I realistically expect to make when I come out of it? And another example, just uh, to labor the point a little bit, is Darren, my old chum or our chum, uh, Darren Denslow, he was on uh, Locked and Loaded a few days ago when he spoke in this openly. And he said, listen, when I came out of uh, university, he said, I still owe 65,000 quid in fees because he spent, through, I think, over four years uh, to get his degree and everything else that came along with it. But DD, and he's not even in the profession anymore either. He had to leave because of uh, issues uh, within the job. So there's DD, for example, spent years, five years, I think, getting the best qualification he could in chemistry, being a great chemistry teacher. Now he's not even in the profession anymore. And he's 65 grand in debt for the rest of, until he pays it off to try and make ends meet doing other things. So you need to be careful, don't you, before you make these choices? Well, I've said to, I've said to my son, he's a bit of a maths, uh, he is a maths genius, I should say. Uh, so he wants to study further maths when he goes to university. But I've actually said to him, um, well, we'll look at other options because um, you're, so, you, you're so good at it anyway. You could do an open university course mm -hmm. and save yourself a lot of money and work on your social skills and do a job at the same time. And and he's quite up for that. We've got another testimony in the uh, uh, online chat. I was a teacher. This is from Phantom Jam Shots gave up even in rural areas classrooms are a war zone you spend a whole hour battling with one pupil and a whole class achieves nothing no discipline and no senior support so that's just two people alone here in the online chat saying how difficult being a teacher is now and that's after like you said rick you've done all those years at university and getting yourself into debt so yeah we can see why they're struggling to employ them at the moment yeah, and respect to be fair, respect to those people that I couldn't do that. I, I don't I don't have the temperament to do that, Natalie. Probably neither do you. So anybody that no. has to grind that out on yep. a day-to-day -day basis, I have nothing but respect for them. But you might want to look at other options or or as we have advocated for a long time, learn a trade. Uh you know, learn how to uh, wire, you know, electrician, uh bricklayer, joiner, plumber, whatever, uh, hands-on stuff that you can become self-employed in and that you can control your own destiny better than you can if you're stuck within a classroom and you're stuck within the rigid confines of an educational uh, curriculum. Now, let's hop across uh, from Ireland over to South Africa. So we like to do a little bit of globe trotting here virtually uh, when we're doing these shows. But uh, there's a potential, uh, well, there was another story actually I was going to bring from SA, but it's not this one, but we'll stick with this one here. A coordinated or targeted tax against road freight vehicles uh, increased from 6,500 incidences in 2009 to 21,000 incidences in 2023. That's an average of 57 valid attacks on trucks every day, many of which are looted and many of which have the drivers uh, badly attacked or murdered. So, you know, crime's nothing new, vehicle crime's nothing new, looting's nothing new, but the damage that this is going to cause on the infrastructure in South Africa, bearing in mind a lot of these trucks are bringing food and supplies to rural areas or outside of the city, are uh, people that are doing the looting maybe don't understand that they're actually cutting off their noses despite their faces because they're doing it uh, with farm attacks as well. They're killing the farmers that are growing the food that they're eating at the end of the day. Uh, is this not even an act of uh, blind self-sabotage on the part of these criminals, Natalie? 
it, it is, but sometimes these people are absolutely desperate themselves. They're, they're looting because they have nothing. And if you've got mm. nothing to lose, you know, you're, you're that, that's why you'll turn to a life of crime. I mean, I read the story. It reminded me, for anybody that's uh, ever watched the first Fast and Furious movie, you know, when they... Uh, Go, they, they, they kind of uh, use their cars to loot the trucks. Uh, that's basically what's happening. There was a story uh, from the 13th of November. Um, it's uh, Ikurilani. I don't know if I said pronounce that, but the Ikurilani Metropolitan Police Department urged motorists and trucks to avoid a certain road, the R. 550. It follows looting and torching of free trucks over free nights. Um, um, and uh, basically, they're saying that uh, a lot of them uh, were targeted, um, uh, stopped, uh, pretending to be patrol people, um, and then taking everything out of their trucks. Um, and, but it's going to have a, a really bad effect on the rest of the country because these trucks are, cu- are actually uh, taking food. They're taking medical supplies. Uh, so that means that everybody's quality of life is going to go down. Prices are going to go up. Uh, you know, it's a very sad state of affairs. The quality of life uh, in South Africa at the moment is poor anyway. And these lootings are going to, if they continue at this rate and keep going up, it's going to make things even worse. So yeah really really sad story yeah the thing is you you make a very good point about balance here too uh, a lot of these criminals that are looting these um vehicles uh that they may be hungry themselves they maybe need to make ends meet themselves and you'd say well get a job uh, it's not always easy when there's no jobs to be had unemployment by the way in south africa is as high as 40 to 45 percent almost exactly. one in every two adults doesn't actually work so it's not just the case of just get a job uh, there maybe are no jobs to be had the thing is though for example, if you loot uh, a vehicle, uh, say you and I decided to do a stick up tomorrow and we loot a big uh, goods vehicle and we start pulling all the merchandise off the back, you know, I'm not I'm not saying I'm just saying think about this. We're going to take way more than we need. So we're not just even looting uh, to put food on the table, which you can understand if somebody's starving, you can understand maybe why they would steal food to feed their kids if they've literally got nothing. I'm not saying steal, but I'm saying you can understand why some people do it. But a lot of these lorries that are looted, it's a small gang that strip out uh, the contents. And then, of course, those contents might have helped 100 people in the village that they were going to or maybe provided food for 100 people. But then they've been stolen by maybe five or 10. But yes, uh, it's a fair point. A lot of people are driven to crime when they have no other alternatives and they've got no uh, future. It's either that or it's criminal gangs and they're looting it to then sell this on the black market to make a profit. So, you know, either way, uh, the poorest uh, are the ones that that uh, struggle in the end. Uh, so, you know, really, they need to try and do something about it. But I think uh, crime rates, as you said, and unemployment rates in South Africa are terrible anyway, and they're struggling, the police, uh, to do anything. So sadly, um, rather than actually try and catch the people, they're saying just to stay off the roads is their advice. Uh, so that's that's the state of the situation in South Africa at the moment. It is, and a lot of aid as well. You know, we've talked about aid that goes to other countries as well. A lot of aid that goes to Africa as well. You know, it has to come in through ports. It doesn't get to get airlifted and dropped into a village. It has to come through air freight or through a, a ship. It has to land in a port and a lot of times in those ports, there's people in there that then uh, skim off the aid that's supposed to go directly for free to poor people, and then they sell it on the black market. And I've been in yeah. uh, cars in the middle of Nairobi where there's been little kids knocking on the window and they have a little basket of little biscuits to, to eat. But when you look at them, it says, you know, United Nations food aid, not for resale. But yet these kids have got them on the streets because somebody in the ports has taken them, sold them to a local, uh, you know, crime baron who's then sold them on to somebody else who's then putting the kids out on the street to sell these free biscuits that they should be eating themselves it's it's mad it's a mad state of affairs but again it's corruption and it's uh par for the course now uh let's hop across to another story that there's a few that you've highlighted that brought a right smile to my face one of which in particular was a beer a beer that is made from recycled shower water and yes, this is for mm, real, mm. a beer made for recycled shower water. I think it's called Epic One Water or something like that. Mm. Uh, I'm looking at a pint of, well, I think it's beer and uh, a, a blue can beside it. Uh, what's the crack with this one? I mean, it, uh, 
Do they think people are going to drink recycled shower water as part of, you know, helping the planet or what? Because some beer does, yeah. by the way, taste yeah, like shower water anyway. Uh, so, you know, maybe punters are used to this foul taste to begin with. I mean, you'd think it's a bit of a joke article. So, you know, the uh, the question I want to ask everyone listening in the online chat, those listeners watching on YouTube is, would you like to drink beer made from uh, shower water that somebody else has previously used? Even if it was only 50p, maybe, if you got it for a massive reduction, would you think? Maybe I'll, I'll 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 give it a shot. But yeah, what what they've said, uh, you wouldn't know if you've tasted it. They're saying epic water. Um, it's made with water recycled from the showers, sinks, and washing machines of residential buildings. So they're saying in the future there could be water shortages. You know there could be droughts. We need to be recycling water. Good for the environment. Climate change. Net zero. Blah 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 blah. And uh, yeah, in San Francisco, since 2015, all new buildings of more than 100,000 square meters are required to have an on-site water recycling system. So this is the stuff of the future. So maybe all beers in the future. Every time you take a sip, you can be wondering who showered in it. So there you go. That is some people. Some people that might be an actual selling point. There's some weirdos out there that would happily drink other people's uh, used shower water. And I think there was a statistic I can remember reading years ago that in London, uh, when you drink a glass of water, even though it's been filtered, it's been through seven people before it gets to you. Okay. So it's been, you know, through the water cycle, let's just say, in London before that it actually gets to you. And here's an actual, I was thinking about this. This challenged me, this story. And I actually think this might take off. I'll tell you why. Because as a night progresses, if you're out on the lash and you're out on the sauce, as you get more and more inebriated, it really doesn't matter what is set before you, you're probably going to drink it anyway. So by the time you've had six or seven bottles of beer anyway, uh, if someone says, hey, Nat, would you like a bottle of this new stuff? It's recycled shower water. You're not even going to ask any questions. You're going to neck it down. Uh, uh, let's just say, let me say this. I had, uh, let's just say I had a friend. I had a friend years ago when he was out one night and he was so inebriated uh, and was so dehydrated that when he got outside the bar after a night on the sauce, he proceeded to drink water dog-like from a muddy puddle. He didn't care what he was digging in, this friend of mine. So it's possible that just maybe, just maybe this beer could take off. Who knows? I've... And then we'll have egg on our faces for scoffing at it. Yeah. I do have to point out at the moment, though, but it's not for sale currently as regulations prohibit use of recycled uh, wastewater in commercial beverages. And then it says dot, 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 at least for now. So watch oh. this space um, because I can I, I agree with you um, as a big drinker and a oh. party goer and a binge drinker. Once once everybody's down the pub and it's near last orders, people will drink anything put in front of them if you tell them it's for cheap yeah so <laughs> and, and food too listen think about kebabs be, right just let's pause for a minute and them. think about kebabs donor kebabs <laughs> right i've never seen anyone eating one sober okay maybe one or two but there's a reason why kebab shops don't open until about 11 p.m in the uk and there's a reason why they close at 3 p uh, 3 a.m they do all their business between 11 exactly. p.m and 3 p.m because everybody that's in the kebab shop is off their face and if you've ever seen what a kebab is made of. I've seen deliveries being made and I'm not knocking kebabs because I've consumed many a kebab in my time. But what I'm saying is they're delivered, it wrapped in blue vacuum packed, double thick plastic. They cut that off with a machete. They stick it on that spit and then they slow cook it for, I don't know, days possibly uh, before you end up consuming it. So it's not just people will drink anything when they've had a few beverages, but people uh, will eat anything too. So maybe... This could be another uh, market opportunity, you know, a recycled kebab meat. Uh, <laughs> some dirty mingers this, this, out there this will, will surprise you. This will surprise you, Rick. I eat anything, as you know, but I will not eat a doner kebab. Uh, my my uh, parents went away and I had to look after my brother for the first time and he got the worst food poisoning ever. Bless him. He came home. I almost had to take him to hospital after eating a doner kebab. 
Um, and I used to work next to one and there were rat. We had such a bad rat problem as well. And I used to wonder if they used to take those rats and put them in that that meat as well. So no, Donna kebabs, not for me. I don't know what's in them. I don't trust them. And they give you food poisoning. So I'm out. One of the few you need, foods I don't eat. You need chili sauce and mayonnaise on top and some raw onions and some shredded lettuce and chips. Horrific combination. But after you've had a few yeah. units, uh, you can consume it quite hard. And uh, Murray in the studio said that uh, problem with the donor kebab is you don't know who the donor is. Very good. Exactly. Point, uh, Murray, is it even a is it even an animal or a rat or is it a big rat or is it a cat or is it a who knows what it is? Maybe if you're out there and you have a kebab shop, uh, give know. us a call. Let's talk about kebabs. Why not uh, here on TNT? We'll be right back after the short uh, ad break. Don't go away. De-weaponizing weather with reality and perspective. A very interesting study has come out. The top 1% of wage earners in the world produce 99% of the emissions of CO2. Now, if CO2 were bad, that'd be a big problem. But it's not bad. But it's very interesting the way they came up with that. The number one producer of CO2 with 1.3 billion people is China. So the Chinese have to be consuming more CO2 than let's say the United States, and they do five to 10 times more. But that's interesting. Is this study saying that the average wage in China is higher than the average wage in the United States? I seriously doubt that. And the answer is not with CO2. It has to do with the system, the system of capitalism and freedom, which of course is being taken apart in the United States and other areas in the West versus the Chinese system. Now we continue to see China thumbing its nose at the rest of the world as they have produced 137 coal plants in the last two years and continue to build them like mad. And yet they say, Oh, well, we're going to be carbon neutral by 2050. By 2050? I thought the world's ending within 10 years. What good is carbon neutral by 2050? They're not going to be carbon neutral anytime in anyone's lifetime and likely in anyone's lifetime that has not been born yet. This is TNT Climate and Weather Watchdog Meteorologist Joe Bastardi asking you to enjoy the weather. It's the only weather you've got. Here's a bushfire fact. Bushfires can occur without warning. So if you're traveling during bushfire season, here are three simple steps to remember. One, check the fire danger rating before you go. The higher the fire danger rating, the more dangerous the conditions. It may be safer to replan your trip. Two, think about the area you're going to and what you would do if a fire started. How would you escape the area if you needed to? And where would you go? Check if there's a neighborhood safer place. Three, it's dangerous to drive through smoke or fire. If you can't find a way to avoid the fire, park in a cleared area, face the car towards the fire and turn the engine off. Then lie on the floor and cover yourself to protect yourself from radiant heat. Live bushfire ready. For more helpful tips, visit myfireplan.com.au today. You're with Natalie Cheel and Rick Munn on today's News Talk Radio, TNT. The one thing I love about TNT Radio is when we bring up a subject, we, you know, in this case, uh, recycled shower water forming beer, then we veered on to kebabs and that ignites the live chat, it's the strangest thing. You could be talking about the most random, obscure thing, and all of a sudden, everybody gets pricked. They say, oh, kebab, kebab, kebab. So everyone, there's a lot of fans of the old kebabs in the live chat. And maybe I was a little bit harsh on the, the kebab people, because to be frank, I did used to eat them every week. And I was in Turkey. I haven't been there for quite a long time, but I've been in some great restaurants in Turkey where they sell, uh, they do these freshly made uh, kebabs and freshly made uh, naan breads or, or 
chapati type breads. It's heaven, absolute heaven. So I'm not uh, hating on kebab sellers, but we're having a little joke because there's just things that we can joke about a little bit. Natalie, you're going to say something. Or you feel like I was going to say, I will eat a kebab. I will eat kebab, but I watch them freshly make it either chicken or lamb. I won't have the donner, but I will have uh, the freshly made ones as long as I can see them cook it in front of me. And I know it's not got any rat or dog or cat or something in it. So that's yeah. that's that's what I'm so going to long- as long as you can see them cut the head and the tail off the rat, <laughs> you are happy to consume it on the premises. I get you. I hear where you're coming from. Okay, let's let's stay on the food theme, actually. Why the heck not? I don't know what it was. You see, after I finished our show yesterday, I was ravenously hungry, ravenously hungry. And then I didn't eat until quite late last night. And then we got this pizza thing and we ordered loads of sides with it. And I'm not joking you. I was such a pig. It was like, nom, 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 nom. but anyway, now we're going to talk about more Food. Yes, we're going to talk about cheese uh, in this case. Uh, we've got a story here about Camembert cheese. French rage at EU plan to ban wooden box packaging uh, for Camembert cheese. Uh, they're getting a bit very worked up about this one, are they not? Yeah, and no, I'm very worked up about it. Um, I'm, I might go on a little rant here because, mm-hmm. you know, cheese is my favourite food. I love Camembert. Like Brie, Wensleydale, cheddar, ricotta, mascarpone, any cheese you name. I love cheese and I agree with the French here. So EU rulings are going to say they're not allowed to use traditional round wooden boxes anymore to encase the camembert cheese. They've got to be replaced with plastic. But what they're saying is it won't taste the same. Um, If you encase uh, the, our wonderful, good-tasting cheese, it's going to remove the flavour. So uh, I'm with them all the way. How dare they? You know, stay away from our meat. Stay away from our cheese. We want it tasting good. And you know what? Uh, it Maybe it, uh, if that destroys the environment, right, in 500 years, I'm willing to take the chance. I'd like to carry on eating nice-tasting camembert. Thank you very much. Leave it alone, EU. That's yeah, leave the cheese, leave the cheese be. And you're you're right. This is another thing that people love. You know, people are cheese fans and they're very particular about it. They like good quality cheese, different varieties of cheese. So if it's nicely packaged for optimum taste, okay. For the consumer to have optimum pleasure for it, it's a real pain in the ass when some bureaucrat decides to sit down and say, no, you shall not have cardboard boxes. You shall not have maximum taste going forward. You shall have your cheese wrapped in plastic and you shall suffer uh, a degradation in taste. It's like uh, Heinz. I think it was Heinz recently or a few years ago, they decided to reduce the salt content of all their baked beans. Okay. So it's like now with reduced salt, whether you like it or not, reduced salt baked beans. Now that's a pain in the ass because all you do is you just add even more salt when you're eating them. If you're a salt consumer, that is, why can't they just leave us alone and let us make our own food choices and just yep. let us eat our food that we're paying probably over the odds for, for good quality cheese. Why can't they just leave us alone, Natalie? Why can't they do that? And, and they're not going to leave us alone. Don't forget, they they took away the caramac bar. I still have I still haven't right. forgotten that. Yeah, and the it's very bar. upsetting. Yeah, and the they're going to ruin ca- Yeah, they're going to ruin me the camembert now. But they're going. What will happen instead? They might have some wooden boxes, but the price is going to go up through the roof. So the normal person won't be able to afford it. So they're going to say, if you have want the wooden boxes, you're going to have to pay an arm and a leg. And so. You know, those elite parasites, those billionaires, they'll be sitting there eating the nicest camembert, you know, dipping all their, you know, mm-hmm. lovely bread in it. Uh, we'll be stuck with the plastic nasty stuff that ends up tasting of plastic as peasants. So, no, I'm not very happy about it. Give us the option. And and yes, it's everything that they're, they're, they're using the excuse. It's for the environment. It's for the environment. But it seems to me it's also about taking the joy, the small joys out of life. Because you know what? I enjoy cheese that much. If I'm having a bad day, if I'm having a bit of cheese, it can make my whole life a lot yeah. better. I love yeah. cheese that much. 
and you don't have to hack through plastic uh, to be able to get to it. You can simply pop open a little cardboard oh, box, yeah. finish your business, and then close the thing down again. And again, a little thing maybe to some people, but it's a big thing to you and a big thing to many other people that's going to affect them by this. And of course, I think it's like those silly wavy lines that Gemma was talking about and the daft architecture. You take stuff like this, and then all of a sudden you've got uh, you've got plastic wrapped around the cheese. It's not good for man and, nor beast. Now, there's another story I uh, will try and... Uh, sorry, you're going to say something I was just going to say, and, and but our, our jokes aside, they're also saying the box packaging represents 2,000 jobs in France and 45 firms would be affected. So, I mean, obviously we're joking around here about uh, losing the cheese and the taste, but this has financial implications as well. Uh, but they don't care about that. Uh, they just want to push uh, the environmental agenda. So, no, they don't care if uh, uh, the cheese doesn't taste the same or if people lose their livelihoods. As long as you save um, the cows farting in 500 years, mm. uh, that, that, that that's all that's important. It is, you know, I think uh, th this could be, it could be little things like this that do tip uh, the most people that you, you and I have been trying to reach and break through to for years and we've been getting nowhere. It could be something really random, like them changing the cardboard boxes on the camembert cheese for people to actually say, hang on a minute. I'm not having any of this anymore this far and no further shall I go. So who knows, yeah. it might end up working in our favor, even though it's a little yeah. bit of short-term pain for all you cheese lovers out there. Now, there's another story here. Uh, we'll try and cover it off just before we go to the break. Uh, this was covered in The Telegraph. Uh, Albania smoke bombs parliament. Uh, fire edit. What's going on? They're smoke bombing, fire bombing the Albanian parliament now. What are they trying to do here? Is it just the fireworks I, display going I wrong it was... or is it a revolution? I thought we had to tell people about it. It was uh, quite far down in the Telegraph. I thought I'd like the idea of uh, Kirst Armour, the opposition. So that's what's happened. The opposition party have come in and they've tried to stop a debate with uh, smoke bombs. They were red, they were purple, they were yellow. It was all quite dramatic. It was quite fun. I thought, can you imagine Kirst Armour walking in with a big stink bomb or like a firecracker or a sparkler into the Houses of Parliament to try and make a point? Oh no, it would be good, but it's not going to happen. But no, they're 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 fuming. They're saying that that, that basically they're not being listened to, um, and it was their way of uh, trying to make a protest. Um, but uh, the they had a protective ring of security guards around the prime minister during the incident, and I saw it. That I mean, nobody was trying to hurt anyone. They were just trying to you know make headlines and make the point that the opposition wasn't being listened to. But I did like their style. Uh, I wonder if we could have the same over here. A bit more excitement in the you know, Jacob Rees Mogg, you know, running around house as a parliament with, with a sparklers, smoke <laughs> sparklers <laughs> even. Just do something, people. Make it a little bit more interesting. You don't even have to. Let of a rocket or a firecracker, even a yep. sparkler, just do something to bring a little bit of spontaneity and life into our yep. parliament. It seems to be, uh, just as we're up this one up, it seems to be a lot of incidents are happening in parliaments now. Uh, this new guy that's uh, the head of Argentina seems to be completely insane. And if you saw my <laughs> mate Trevor John sent me a picture, I'll send this to you afterwards. You, do you remember Benny Hill, the, the English slapstick comedian, the guy Benny Hill, the yes, Benny do, Hill show? Yeah. Do you remember him? There's a yeah. picture of Benny Hill doing this evil grin and there's a picture of the new prime minister or the new uh, president of Argentina side by side. Not like it's almost like it was superimposed one on top of the other. He looks exactly like Benny Hill. But Benny, Hinn I also, Benny Hill. I also said someone said, isn't it weird that you get people like, like you know, Donald Trump with his hair flying off at an angle, mm -hmm. being orange. You get Boris Johnson mm -hmm. who doesn't look like he's cut his hair. We've now got the mm -hmm. Argentinian one. Aren't politicians supposed to look smart? Mm -hmm. uh, it's mm -hmm. almost like they're trying—they're trying to to dumb us all down. Mm -hmm. um, so you know, who knows? Who knows what's who knows? going on over there? Maybe it is Benny Hill. Maybe he didn't actually <laughs> die. Maybe he's been reincarnated as the president <laughs> of Argentina. Listen, stranger things have happened. Our and are happening here on planet Earth as we speak. But for now, we've got to wrap this one up. Not like massive thanks to you as always for your fantastic input. You will be back with me tomorrow, or I shall be back with you tomorrow, whichever way you want to look at it, at nine for Open Line. I'll be back after the news with uh, Locked and Loaded, with Gemma, and also with Fabio Vici. So please don't go away. Stay tuned here to TNT Radio.